welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Hi all, it's good to be with you wherever you are. Welcome to Gateway via technology. Uh, I'm Matt Perry and it's my Great pleasure and privilege to bring you this uh, message uh, in the light of the things we've been hearing over the last few weekends and over Easter. Today's message is based on the events of Easter Sunday still, and we're heading towards that well-known Great Commission passage later on in Luke chapter 24. The Great Commission where we're implored to, to go and announce to all the nations that forgiveness is available to all if we will just change our thinking about sin. And this comes to us in the Bible after a very interesting and a a somewhat confusing encounter between two disciples and the secret Jesus. You might well know it as the road to Emmaus. So we're in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 49 especially. We'll look at some other places, but if you'd like to open your Bible, your device, your app, whatever, be ready if you'd like to look into those spaces. Uh, Your notepad ready maybe too. That's where we're going to be most of the time, and we're going to open that up and explore that as much as we can. These two disciples are walking along this road and having a a conversation between Jerusalem and Emmaus. But what's interesting is that in order to get us to the Great Commission that's coming just some short time later, those amazing, that amazing event, sending the body of Christ, Jesus' followers, out to all the world. To get to that point, Jesus needs to address some key issues of misunderstanding and confusion with the disciples. And I think these are vital and relevant still to this day, sadly and interestingly, but wonderfully we can open up this text and have a look. So you can see that I've entitled this uh, Life After Easter, Being Wise and Alert. And those two words come to us positively out of the text. So I hope you see that and enjoy it as we open up God's word now and and have a good look. But first, what is the situation? What's going on? What's really happening for these guys? What's the context? Just before Jesus commissioned the church with her instructions for ministry, he needed to address the problem that these disciples were exhibiting and expressing in their conversation with Jesus. And we know that there's a a problem or an issue because in this korero with Christ, Jesus actually got to the point where he said, oh, how foolish and slow of heart to believe. Now, they sound like tough words. They're not derogatory. They're not cruel or unkind. They're honest and real. And of course, he goes on to coach them and lift them and grow them to be the disciples that they they can be and i think the same is true for us and so in that that statement in verse 25 that's our sort of our pivot statement for this message that's why we're here because jesus says listens to their explanation listens to their heart listens to the overflow of expression from them and before he goes to grow them and and coach them and lead them and love them to maturity 
he has to be honest and real. And he says, oh, how foolish and slow of heart to believe. So that's why we're here. That's why we're there. Let's unpack that now. Let's listen to the text. And we're asking the question, why weren't these disciples mission ready? That's a, a positive way of looking at it. Or of course, according to our title, how can we be wise and alert? The two are walking along the road, and what's really interesting for us today in these times, which is uh, very, very appropriate, is that they are talking together about tumultuous events that have been taking place in their world, in their circle for the last few days. Of course, they've had some years of, of walking with Jesus. We don't know exactly how many because we don't know exactly who they are, but they are disciples. They're part of his inner friendship group. So we know that they have had years walking with him and enjoying him and anticipating what's coming and, and hearing his promises and being close. But of course, this is Easter Sunday, and so in light of all the events, they are in shock. I think many of us can appreciate that feeling, that, that strange disorientation. And so Jesus has come up to them, and I called him earlier the secret Jesus, because as we read in the text before this bit, he keeps them from seeing or recognizing him. They know they're with someone, and he's very wise and smart, but they don't recognize that it's actually Jesus himself. So let's read from verses 17 for a little while. This is uh, Luke chapter 24, 17 onwards. Jesus speaking first. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? So Kind of obviously like today, there is one topic in Jerusalem at this moment. There's one topic. Everybody's talking about this one thing. And if you're not talking about it, then someone will say, seriously, bro, where have you been? Have you not been around? Don't you know what's happening? It's a little bit like today in some funny ways. Jesus says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came to us and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see, or they did not see Jesus. The best translations say they didn't see Jesus himself. He said to them, verse 25, this is our pivot text, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Why would Jesus call disciples foolish and slow? It seems a tough thing to say. 
you can hear that the disciples are confused, they're disappointed, they're probably worried. These were tough times, there were tough people around. Crucifixion was a, a dreadful, dreadful thing. They were truly discombobulated. It's a great word, and I think it really describes how things were at the time. And maybe it's how many, many people are feeling in this world, in this day and age, in 2020. It's, it means disconcerted, upset, disoriented. Things are not going as expected. So where did, the society, where did the disciples go wrong, and where do we go right? That's the journey from here. Firstly, number one, the disciples reduced Jesus. Did you see in verse 19, it says, he was a prophet. At first glance and at a simple read, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that. But really, really, Jesus was not just a prophet. The disciples had let the circumstances redefine who Jesus is. And they'd settled for a totally inadequate interpretation of the Son of Man, the Son of God. Jesus had spent three years building up, building up their view of his true divine nature. But they'd let it all go in a matter of hours. Let's go back a few months to Luke chapter 9. And after the feeding of the 5,000, let's listen and read the conversation about who Jesus is. It's pivotal and valuable, and we can be sure that they heard this, or at the very least heard about it. Luke chapter 9, 18 and forward. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. This is the first major announcement of the events that would effectively close Jesus' earthly, human, physical life. And it always amazed me why he told them not to tell others. I would have thought that, that he wanted to be promoted and announced. Why did he say strictly, don't tell everyone what you've just learned about my identity? And I find that there are at least two good reasons. Firstly, at that time, the, the Jewish people were ripe for political revolution. And Jesus did not come for that purpose. He did not want to spark that fire. But secondly, it's Hebrew custom to not self-announce one's messiahship. So people need to encounter the person, the real person of Jesus himself, and delight in him and enjoy him and fall in love with him. And the idea of evangelism is not 
for second-hand, third-hand, or fourth-hand promotion. The Messiah is to be introduced to people to let them come to their own conclusions. The disciples knew full well that Jesus was not simply a prophet or one of the prophets. He is Messiah, the anointed one, God. And Jesus asked that question of all people on earth and he asked it of them to be taken to all the nations. Who do we say Jesus is? Many people today would freely and happily say that Jesus is a prophet. But that usually means, it's, it's usually a, a friendly uh, acquiescence to a wise person, a good person, in the, in the language of the crowds. Islam generally reveres Jesus as a prophet. But it's not enough. I implore my Muslim friends and neighbors to take a closer look at the real Jesus. Christian life and the spread of the church is built on people, that is the crowds, moving from the idea that Jesus is just a prophet to hearing and recognizing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He is the image of the invisible God, as it tells us in Hebrews chapter one. And they should have known better because throughout his ministry, Jesus had clearly identified himself and been identified. And Luke is a great place for the identity of Jesus. So if you work your way through a study from chapter 1 through to 24, you'll see lots of places where he's revealed as, as these examples, the Son of the Most High. He's called God's beloved Son. Even the demons called him the Son of God in chapter 4, verse 41. He's referred to, of course, as the Messiah and his own favorite self-description, the Son of Man, he uses, and only he uses it, 81 times in the New Testament. And this is thoroughly understood by Jesus' Hebrew audience to mean that longed-for, promised, messianic, end-times figure who would come representing God in power and glory. There should have been no misunderstanding. But when the worst thing happened and Jesus was actually arrested and cruelly crucified, as predicted, the disciples seemed to forget all those promises and all his miracles, and they treated him like an ordinary man. And they called him a prophet, not even the prophet. I think this must be the worst demotion in history and so that's why in verse 26 of our passage, Jesus reminded them by saying, did not Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? How to be wise and alert? Remember exactly who Jesus is and consider carefully who we say he is and make it our practice to honor him and to worship him in truth as Lord and King and Savior and Messiah and Redeemer. Secondly, where they should have known better, the disciples gave up hope quickly, way too quickly. In verse 21 of our passage, it says, but we had hoped 
that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. We had hoped, past tense, their hope was weak because they weren't trusting deeply in the promises of God. And they were looking on the circumstances instead of trusting Jesus, the Jesus they knew. Yes, the circumstances were genuinely and seriously bad. He had been tortured, he'd been arrested, tortured, crucified, buried, and as far as they were aware, dead. But he had promised to rise on the third day. And they'd been told by the stage that the tomb was empty. And yet they still didn't really believe it. And they settled for a, an earthly hope, that basic, common, regular human hope that sort of maybe yes, maybe no, maybe good if we're lucky, uh, maybe he will, maybe he won't, well, let's see. That's not biblical hope. Jesus had said he would rise, he'd raised others, he'd perform performed the most amazing miracles, he had given them every conceivable reason and evidence to trust him totally. And it wasn't even sunset on the third day. It's not like it was a week or a month or a year later and they had hoped. It was still before his own Jesus-given deadline. Trust Jesus. Trust the evidence of his life and his word and his words and his action. In Luke 8, 15, Jesus says that to be fruitful in our Christian life, we, we need to hold on tight to the word of God in an honest and good heart, persevering in the life of faith in God. Holding on tight means keeping a determined, determined grip and not letting anyone or anything rip faith from our hands or our lives. It's, it's like an all black with ball in hand. That is a ball you wanna really, really want if you're gonna go in and take them on. They hold it tight, they shield it with their body, they protect it with their movement, and for almost their life's worth, you're not getting that out of their hands. It takes a pile of guys ripping and pulling. Think of the silver ferns with the netball. Those women, they twist and they turn and they duck. They use all their strength and all their body and all their willpower to hold on to the ball. Hold on to faith and hope in Jesus, his promises and his word. How to be wise and alert in life after Easter, don't give up hope in Jesus. Hold on to his promises, never give up. The third thing that they probably could have known better is that the disciples wanted more physical proof. This is a very common issue in the world today and it has been since the beginning that they should have known better. Verse 22 of our passage says this, in addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus 
himself. So they had Jesus' own promises of resurrection. They had an empty tomb. They had angelic visitation with news of resurrection. They had testimony from women that they knew, friends whom they trusted, and men whom they knew and trusted who were also faithful. And yet, they wanted to see Jesus himself. They refused to believe in the resurrection until Jesus actually fronted up. I appreciate an empty tomb without yet seeing Jesus is disappointing on Easter Sunday, but they should have trusted the evidence. That's what the rest of us humanity has to do. This is why Jesus said to them, how foolish and slow of heart you are. This word foolish, it means dull, like a, like a lamp that is not very bright. And it also means sensual. It's, the, it's the, um, the combination of these two words. The disciples were not being faithful with the knowledge that they had of Jesus from all those previous weeks and months because they were relying on their common natural senses, insisting on seeing him and hearing him and touching him. And he's teaching them and he's teaching us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and what we do not see, Hebrews 11. So how did the disciples grow so much after Easter as to deserve the Great Commission and being sent out into the world? I think as we pour into the text, we see that there are two key reasons. They did it with Jesus' help, of course, and with his instructions. So the way to avoid being foolish and slow and to be wise and alert and ready for Christian life and the Great Commission is twofold. Number one, we need the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to see Jesus, that's in verse 31, and opening our minds to understand the scriptures, verse 45. So that's the first part of what we need to, to know and to be and to do. And secondly, we need to remember what Jesus told us, what is written in the word of God. So, supernatural help. Let's go back to our passage, and it comes out beautifully in verses 30 to 32. So they're walking along the road to Emmaus. They've had this amazing conversation. Something's been going on, but they don't recognize Jesus. And then they get to the spot where Jesus basically pretends to be going further. And in beautiful Hebrew first century hospitality, they say, no, 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 you must stay. Stay with us. Come and eat. It's getting late. It's going to be dark soon, so it's still light. So his deadline isn't up. Come and eat with us. It might not be safe. And he responded positively. Went in with them to enjoy their hospitality, be with them a little bit longer, and verse 30 and so on. 30 to 32 says this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. 
and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The burning heart passage. So both via a visual sign, the breaking of the bread, and the divine work of God, the disciples recognized the real Jesus. Pray for the supernatural work of God to open our spiritual eyes, to recognize what Jesus is doing in the world today, regularly. Regularly, I recommend daily the habit of asking God for these eyes. It's definitely, definitely a supernatural work of Jesus that we are reasonably and legitimately invited to pursue and find because that's how it appears in the text. Did you notice that the only qualification of the disciples for this supernatural work was dullness? (laughs) But it's okay to ask. It's good to ask. Lord, I don't see clearly as I'd like to, but open my eyes to recognize you. I want to see what you're doing in the world today. And let's pray for another supernatural work that comes out in the text. So I take it as instructions from the word in 24 verse 45. A wee while later after Jesus has seen the other disciples and they've also had their wobbles and just before he gives them their great commission it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is God at work. And the the word for opening minds really literally means to totally open something up and expose it completely in order to put it back together again. That's the idea of the word, he opened their minds. He didn't just sneak in with one little idea. He totally blew their minds open in a very constructive way and gave them understanding. Let it be so for us. We can ask for that constantly. It's good. Our only qualification needs to be that we admit that we don't know everything, that we're a bit dim. And secondly, our part to play, and finally, remember the word of God. Early on on the day of resurrection, the angels had said to the women at the tomb, remember how he told you while he was still with you. It's a command. Verse 6 of chapter 24. Remember how it, so a number of times through this chapter 24, you'll find the word remember, you'll find the word himself, and you'll find the words all. Now that's your homework. If you want some, go away and look for those words. Because those repeated words give us great insight into the real meaning that God is Uh, lifting up and wanting us to capture hold of. Remember how he told you. So this is the bit where we get to play our part. Even after Cleopas and the other disciple testified to actually meeting Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So when they went back after their encounter and they met with the other disciples, they said, we have seen him. We had dinner with him. Even when that happened, some of the other disciples were still doubtful and troubled. So Jesus showed them his hands and his feet and he asked for something to eat. And then in verse 44, it says again this kind of thing. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. That's a remember instruction. 
This is what I told you. Remember, this is what I said. Remember, you were there. Recall it, study it, go back to it. This is where we apply ourselves. We need reminding of what is written about Jesus, about what God says, and so hand in hand with asking for supernatural understanding, we must read the word of God and meditate on it and enjoy it, exercise our minds and choose to believe it and put it into practice. It's why we love teaching and preaching and small groups and worship and coming together to be reminded and to call on God for his supernatural activity in our lives as individuals and as a community and why we encourage each other and spur each other out into the world to a life of love and good deeds. This is why we do this. We are instructed all the way through the word of God. Put it into practice. So to close, I find it amazing that when Peter acknowledged Jesus and declared him to be the Messiah of God in that passage in chapter nine, from that statement of faith, Jesus said, I will build my church. I pray that you and I, that we and that all people will experience the burning heart revelation of God and soak ourselves in the word of God. May Jesus build his church among us and the nations because of this and because of us. The Lord bless you and keep you. It's been good to be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.